There are so many thoughts we could focus on an evening like this. Sometimes we hear the words theological ideas and concepts, and there's so many of those that we could lean into as we think about Jesus giving his life for us. You know, we just sang that song, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And a lot of us, when we hear that, go, ooh, that's not pleasant. That's not nice. But if you're familiar with the Older Testament, you would see that uh, Moses, under God's leadership, uh, has this whole sacrificial system in play. And uh, it just, there's all kinds of things. If you've ever read the book of Leviticus, you'll see it. Sacrifice after sacrifice for different things. All the idea of without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And we see that all those sacrifices were, in a sense, temporary. They were a deferment to the ultimate sacrifice, that is Jesus. And so when we see that, even in Hebrews we read, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And it's just to show us how, in a sense, how upsetting, how vile, how separating our sin is. And sometimes we don't like to come to terms with the concept that you and I are sinners. It's uh, hardwired into us ever since the fall. I remember when our kids were young and little and they were just starting to figure out who they were and how to get what they wanted, all of a sudden we'd see them grabbing things from each other and if they couldn't get the thing from the other, the toy, they would hit them over the head with it or something like that. Where does that come from? We never gave them lessons how to be selfish, how to think just of themselves. That was hardwired into them. It's the human condition. And we see that in our world today when we see these big atrocities taking place. It is the human condition. It's that sin nature that is wired into us. And instead of God turning his back on us, instead of God rejecting us and writing us off as a, as a race, as a human being, he, he, he makes a way. And again, that Old Testament uh, sacrificial system pointed to the need of a, the Lamb of God that would, uh, that would make everything right. And Jesus was totally aware of this, even as he's celebrating, um, and we now call it communion, remembering communion, as he's breaking uh, the bread and he's sharing the wine. He says this about the cup. He says, this cup is the new covenant, the new agreement in my blood, which is poured out for you. The imagery is there and there again. You notice we sang some songs where this idea of Jesus' love was poured out. The way he demonstrated his love being poured out was the giving of his life and allowing his blood to be shed. And again, that was all temporary in the Older Testament. So looking to someone who would set things right. That's why we don't have to have a sacrificial system anymore. Jesus did it, paid for it, and that is it. And then you and I, when we say yes to Christ, when we invite him into, his li into our lives because we have that forgiveness of sin, because of the shedding of his blood, a new life begins in us. In uh, Corinthians, we read, now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah, that's Jesus, gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone. A new life begins to grow. And then just look at it with amazement. And probably, hopefully, most of us in this room have said yes to Christ. Uh, Kevin referred to that when he was uh, praying, that those of us who know Christ, we celebrate that new life we have in Christ, that relationship with God through Christ, through the Spirit. Uh, but we have to ask ourselves, where is that at? And when we celebrate communion in a couple moments, we'll uh, talk about uh, examining our hearts. So you have this idea of 
Uh, Jesus shed blood so there could be remission from sins. There's also the idea of him giving himself, his body, his body for us. And uh, there's the inference of bread and the idea that bread is a main staple of life. Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years, and they received bread from heaven. They called it manna, and Jesus himself talks about himself being the bread of life. And in John chapter 6, he talks about, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. And the idea is that as Jesus gives himself and he's the bread of life and we can experience that. He's that eternal food that sustains us spiritually. And I love that line, endures to eternal life. That you and I begin that relationship with God through Christ. The Holy Spirit comes into our life and leads us and guides us. It's like bonded right to us. And that just ushers us in through this life and into the next chapter of life. He carries us in that relationship, carries us through jesus said i am the bread of life whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall not thirst and the idea that there's a hole in each one of our hearts and the reason we celebrate uh, what christ has done with giving his life uh, his resurrection is because he fills in that hole nothing else can do that all of us have tried at times even of us who know christ we latch on to something and we say what if this, if I just had this, then things would come together. And we hold on to that, but we come back and realize, yes, Christ is the bread of life. And that when we feed on him, when we think on him, uh, we, we have our hunger satisfied. Our thirst is quenched. And when we celebrate communion, we're going to talk about some things that happen in theory in our hearts. And when we really refocus, when we recalibrate on those ideas, we find that the hunger in our heart is satisfied and the thirst is quenched. In Matthew 5, 6, it says, Jesus wrote or said, You're blessed when you've worked up a great appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. Again, that idea that he is the one who satisfies us. He's the one that makes us right. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 reads, For our sake he made him to be sin, that's Christ, who knew no sin. He was that perfect lamb, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And the idea is there is that when we've said yes to Christ, God looks at us through the work of his son, through the life of his son, through the death of his son, through the resurrection of his son, and that gets put on our account, if you will, when we said yes, our we would say our position in Christ is righteous. Our sins are canceled. And then as we are falling in love with Christ more and more and more, and we sang songs about that, that we love him more and more, then our behavior begins to change because our heart has started to change. So one of the indicators, not that you earn your way to God by pleasing him, but because you love him, you want to please him. But one of the indicators that you and I are on the path walking with him, beginning in this life throughout eternity, is that eventually our external behavior begins to change. Our actions are affected by our love relationship with God through Christ and the Holy Spirit working in our life. 
Jesus said again in John chapter 6, he said, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And that goes, ooh, what does that mean? And that's the concept of having our satisfaction in him. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last days. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father has sent me and I live because of the Father, so that the one who feeds on me will live because of me. And the question is, are we feeding on him? That's not literally feeding on him, but it's the idea that the hole in our heart, the satisfaction of our life revolves around being centered on him. Paul writes about celebrating the Lord's Supper, about remembering the elements, the bread, the, the wine, and what they represent. And he gives us some instructions. He says, for I received from the Lord what I pass on to you. The Lord on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they would do this on a regular basis because they wanted to remember Christ and what he's done and how he's touched their life, that he is the one that satisfies. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant. Again, covenant is just a fancy word for agreement. This is the new agreement. In my blood, the remission of sins, one sacrifice, not a regular sacrificial system anymore for the payment of our sin. And again, that early Older Testament was all pointing to Christ coming. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We long for the day that he comes back and sets our world right. Some would say, well, I'm just waiting. Why hasn't he shown up? It's been over 2,000 years. But every day that he waits gives an opportunity for another one of your friends, one of your family members, to discover who Christ is and follow him. And as we say often, I'm willing to wait a little longer if it means some of those loved ones that I know that don't have a relationship with God through Christ uh, might give them some more to time to say yes to him. So we, we wait. Then also Paul gives us some instructions. He says, anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be a part of? Examine your motives. Test your heart. Come to this meal in holy awe. If you've said yes to Christ, this is just a significant, wonderful time. This is a time we're remembering who he is, the difference he made in our life. So we come to this meal in holy awe. We come with our minds just being filled with that, captivated with that. If you haven't placed your trust in Christ, uh, then you're kind of just observing this. Maybe you even participate, and we would suggest you don't participate. But if you do, nothing terrible is going to happen to you, but it just doesn't, it doesn't have traction in your life. You're just going through a ritual. But those of us who have said yes to Christ, when we do, it's our reality of our life trying to keep it the reality of our life. If you give no thought or worse, don't care about the broken body of the master when you eat and drink, you're running serious uh, risk of consequences. And then he goes on and finishes out and says, if we get this straight now, we won't have to be straightened out later on. 
So there's two ways to examine ourselves so we come to the small and holy awe. I already alluded to it a little bit. Have you placed your trust in Christ? Have you said yes to him? Have you acknowledged your need for a savior? Have you acknowledged your need for forgiveness of sin? And sin is disobedience. Sin is that self-centeredness. That sin is being out of a line with God. And have you acknowledged the, the, that it's a part of your life? And have you acknowledged the need to be forgiven of that? Then you place your trust in Christ. And uh, yes, there are some parts that still seem to be a mystery. But you accept Christ and you say, Lord, I, I realize you gave your life for me. So I am leaning into you for the forgiveness of my sins. You gave your life as a sacrifice. You shed your blood. Your body was given. And you believe in him. You believe that he's made it possible that you can be right with God. And then you choose to invite Christ into your life as the one in control of your life. This isn't just like a magic switch you throw, but you spend the rest of your life. In a sense, Paul talks about working out your salvation. And I, the idea is to integrate following Christ, the way of Christ, into your life. So we have the rest of our life to uh, get our the way we live closer a little bit to our position in Christ. We'll never completely arrive there until we see Christ face to face. But it's exciting to watch him work in our life and grow our life. So we accept him. So this, this evening, if you have not placed your trust in Christ, I would say, wow, what a weekend to say yes to him. What a weekend to begin that new life in him by asking him into your life. And then there are those of us who have said yes to him. There are those of us who are just, just so in awe of who he is, and we continue to follow him. And that is wonderful. And so when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we, we look within, see some areas that need to be adjusted, need to be changed, some areas that we need to repent of. And repentance isn't just feeling bad about it. Repentance is we change our point of view, and we change our point of view so that all of a sudden our thoughts, those actions change and our appetite changes and now that whatever doesn't have the same draw that it had to us before there are some things in life we will struggle with from now until we meet christ face to face but there are a lot of opportunities where he works things out in our hearts i love it when i no longer have an appetite for something a desire for something that i know is sinful that i know is not in alignment with what god would have me to be and it comes from my heart. It's just not a filter on the outside. It comes from the inside out. So we ask ourselves how our relationship is going with him. How is it growing with him? What are the things that are happening? Every once in a while, I like to uh, share a uh, corporate confession from a church in Connecticut. And uh, this isn't to beat us down, but this is to think about the ways that we can grow. Sometimes we don't stop and slow down and say, Lord, what, what needs to change in my life? Where's the sin in my life? Where's the disobedience in my life? Because I want to see it and then adjust life. I want my life to be as tight with you as possible. So I want to get the static, in a sense, off the line. And that means dealing with some of the behavior, some of the sin, some of the thought life, whatever that may be. So I, I love to use this as kind of a, a trigger for me, and I, and I hope it is for you. So as I read through these, I, I would just suggest you sit there as quietly as possible, maybe even close your eyes and let these concepts wash over you and say, man, is this something I might need to work on? 
Lord, this is a prayer, Lord, you know those of us who have lost our first love and have become lukewarm. We confess apathy and complacency. We have no passion for you, your word, your people, and your service. We confess apathy as sin. Lord, you know those of us who have taken, not taken sin seriously because we know your grace is abundant. We confess a tolerance of and a callousness to sin. We excuse our sins because we know you will forgive us. It is if we sin that grace may abound. We tolerate sin in our own lives, in the lives of our brothers and sisters. We do not lovingly confront them when you have told us to. So we confess our tolerance and callousness to sin. Lord, you know those of us who have been conformed to the image of this world and want everything to be comfortable and convenient. We confess selfishness. We resist giving ourselves as a living sacrifice. We want to be served rather than to serve. We fail to use our time, treasure, finances, and talents to your glory, showing how important you are to us. We confess our selfishness as sin. Lord, you know those of us who have not loved you with all our heart, mind, and soul, nor have loved our neighbors as ourselves. We confess wrong priorities. We have chosen to put other activities before you, before our family, and before our service for you. We confess wrong priorities as sin. Lord, you know those of us who have become puffed up with our knowledge of the Bible, our independent spirit, our non-legalistic approach to, to Christian living. We confess pride. This pride is expressed in quiet rebellion, muffled grumbling, looking down upon people who are at a different point in their spiritual pilgrimage. We confess our pride as sin. Lord, you know those of us who have neglected to pray without ceasing. We confess a lack of prayer. We do not make plans to pray individually with our families and with others. We do not pray enough for our leaders, our ministries, our missionaries, and for each other. We confess our lack of prayer as sin. Lord, you know those of us who have, who have become ineffective as salt and light in our world. We confess our lack of outreach. We're not friendly towards guests in our church. We do not build bridges of friendship towards unbelievers. We do not pray for the salvation of others. We do not participate in our communities as representatives of Jesus Christ. We confess our lack of outreach as sin. Lord, you know those of us who have neglected to take time to listen, to share, to give, and to show hospitality to others. We confess a resistance to sharing ourselves. We need open hearts, open hands, and open homes. We confess a resistance to sharing ourselves as sin. It's going to take a few moments now of silent prayer, and then I will close us.
Father, for many of us, this is the first time we've been quiet before you this day, maybe this week. And quietness being with you and the thoughts in our minds and hopefully the leading in our heart, your leading in our hearts, can sometimes be a little unsettling. But it's so necessary. Father, we do want forgiveness of sin. We do want repentance and conviction to change the way we live under your leadership. And Father, if there is anyone here who's never said yes to you, we ask in these moments that they would. What a great moment to celebrate communion in just a few moments as it being the reality of where we're at. So we pray for that. Father, we think of those of us who have known you for a long while, and we ask that you would help us to continue to grow in our faith, that we wouldn't be stagnant, that we would come to not just this meal in holy awe, but we'd come to life in holy awe, seeing opportunities where we can walk with you and point to you and enjoy your presence and see others get a glimpse of who you are in the way we live, in the way we act. We ask for help with that. Well, we do want to ask for forgiveness for the times that we are just self-centered and not aware of our greater world, aware of our neighbors in our community, aware of the needs even in our church. We thank you that you do forgive us. We thank you that you separate our sins as far as the east is from the west. You don't hold that against us. And that really is just uh, so mind-boggling because in our own personal experience, it is so hard for us to forgive someone and to actually let it go and not hold it against them and not act a little weird or different towards them. But you don't do that, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the forgiveness you offer. So, Lord, as we in a few moments celebrate communion, we just ask that we'd be in the right place. And maybe you've already started to do some things in our heart that as we leave this place and Saturday's considered silent, quiet Saturday because your son was buried in the tomb and no one knew he was going to be resurrected and everyone's just kind of mulling around going, what just happened? I pray that in the quietness of Saturday that you would help us to see the areas that we could move in and change and, and to be a better witness and to be a better person and walking with you. Uh, we're thankful that our actions, our uh, works uh, is not what saves us. It's not what makes us right with you. It's the perfect right of um, life of Christ. And we thank you for that, that our walk with you doesn't hinge on our behavior. It hinges on what Christ has done. So out of love, let us move in that direction. Let us be fully in and grow. We just ask all of these things in Jesus' name.